You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're calling this album swap. Now, uh, many of our listeners don't even know what an album is, but an album is um, a, a tangible version of what we really <laughs> listen to. Uh, so the, the deal for today is that Noah and I discussed uh, sharing an album that uh, has had significance to us over our lifetimes. So he gave me an album to listen to by an artist that he uh, has affinity for and an album that he really likes. I'm assuming that's the case. That and true. I did the same for him. So the album that Noah gave me is Frank Ocean's Channel Orange from 2012. Yes. Now you, you need to know that I have heard of Frank Ocean but I've never heard anything Frank Ocean has recorded until uh, this last week when I yeah. was given when I was given the task. And Noah, what did you get? What did I give you? So you gave me Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Um, this came out in June of 1995. So a couple years before I was born. It's very interesting to me that you gave me this album because I think most of our listeners know by now that you are very much an 80s music type of person. And I generally love the 90s and up from that sort of way. But um, this was interesting to me. I know that you uh, have... I knew that you liked Alanis Morissette. Am I saying her name right? Uh, Alana, Alanis, I think. I, Alanis. Interchangeably. Alanis Morissette. I don't know her personally, so, you know, I hear it both ways. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I remember you always had Hands Clean, which I think was from the early 2000s on your iPod Nano. And that was pretty much my entire exposure to her as an artist. But um, I was pretty Which is interesting because I don't remember any of that. I mean, obviously, I remember the album vividly. Mm -hmm. And what's even more interesting is when we came up with this idea, the very first album that popped in my head was Jagged Little Pill. And why was um, that? I don't know. I think it was because um, it was from, well, I'd be interested to hear what you think of the album, but obviously I want to say that this album was a bit of a turning point musically in the 90s. Right. This was just after Nirvana. There's a, there's an edginess to this album. I'll say that probably wasn't present beforehand. And, you know, now with me being probably one of the oldest uh, members of Generation Z, all you get is defiance and sort of uh, generational edginess. Uh, you know, it, nothing really quite breaks the mold anymore, like Nirvana did, or, you know, a lot of grunge music did, or Alanis Morissette did. Uh, so I find it very interesting that um, I recognize how this possibly could have been a turning point that I see now and the music that I listen to pretty often. So um, it was really it was really cool to sort of um, take the album's themes as well. This one is very much about being um, a young adult uh, from what I recognize and sort of the problems that come with that slash the feelings you have, the emotions that uh, sort of pop up when you go through your 20s and maybe early 30s. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were late 20s, early 30s when this album came out, right? Yeah, late in 20s. 1995, I was actually mid-20s. Okay, um, so I think that's so. actually squarely positioned 
to um, the audience uh, for this yeah. album. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is uh, just with regard to uh, Channel Orange, I was also trying to identify a bit of a theme in listening to it. And I'm not sure if the theme is, if I identified it spot on, but I did a little bit of research, obviously, as well. Mm -hmm. The theme to me seemed to be, um, um, how do I say this? The pitfalls of money. Mm -hmm. um, there seemed to be some, some suspicion of, of what money can do uh, to a person, to an individual. I don't know. There was, there was a little bit of a... Um, a negativity surrounding significant wealth or affluence. Okay. Uh, I think in, in a couple of songs anyway, I think as it evolves, as it moves on, maybe I didn't take that as much, but I was looking for sort of a, a theme. There's very much, this is very much a, a to me, it's a, what we used to call a concept album. Oh yeah. It's definitely uh, channel orange is a concept album. And I was trying to figure it out quickly because I like the idea of concept albums, but I have to say, I also like, because of you know what my musical genre typically is, I really don't like to work that hard for my music. I just wanted to, you know, be something that gets in my head and I sing the lyrics to in my head. Well, you want something that sounds good to you first and foremost, rather than yeah. diving deeper into its greater meanings. And yeah, I yeah. think that um, I think that we're both going to have an interesting conversation on this today as we sort of go through the track lists and whatnot. Yep. Um, I will tell you that uh, you got a a partial sort of understanding of the album. Uh, Frank Ocean uh, is actually gay, and I don't think the public knew this until oh, uh, a little bit that. later. You uh -huh. can actually, if you reread some of the lyrics and uh, some of the albums, it's about you know a closeted young individual who um, isn't accepted by the world and he's afraid by what other people may think of him. And it's very much something where you know he hung around in sort of hip hop communities. He was part of, uh, do you know who Tyler, the creator is? I've heard of, I've heard of them. Yeah. Okay. Tyler, the creator used to have a collective um, and Frank Ocean was a part of that. And especially in 2012, um, that was probably the very beginnings, I would say of the internet's sort of discussion or, or maybe uh, society's cultural shift towards being more inclusive and accepting. But uh -huh. I would also say that 2012 was not a time where you could, openly say and be proud of the fact that you know you were gay and I, I, a lot of um the terminology and the lyrics and just overall meanings of the song are about like you know a young man sort of finding his way through his feelings thinking about somebody that he really cares about and questioning whether that's actually somebody he wants or if that's the right thing for him if that's what society wants um that's what i've always taken from that album and i have read a couple of interviews where that's a large part um, of that uh, mm -hmm. the song Forrest Gump, for example, is, you know, it's not about somebody who uh, Well, actually let's dive into it. Um, let's go ahead and start with you on the first track of channel orange. I do want to, um, I do want to get into that. Okay. Yeah. So um, the first track is called start. And again, once again, it's a concept album. And I had to, I had to go digging on this one. Cause I really, you know, I, I get the idea. Uh, and essentially, the, the whole concept behind Start is that every track on Channel Orange is a different program on our journey with Frank, who is channel surfing through his memories. 
And, um, you know, I, there are some albums from the eighties actually that have sort of interludes like this album does, mm -hmm. which I actually was thinking for the future, I'd like to give you one of those albums. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of interludes as much as I'm, I'm not a big fan of concept albums. I like the, the, um, the whole idea of sort of intro precursor, then song, then precursor. It sort of gives you a little bit of a, I don't know, it, it's a bit of a ride. Um, so I, I like the idea of it sort of sounding like, you know, the beginning of something. I have to say that Thinking About You, uh, which is the second song, and we'll just mm -hmm. sort of go through these track by track. So I'll turn it back over to you. Um, thinking About You is is a pretty doggone good song. Um, yeah, that was the one that really became famous off of uh, Channel Orange. I, yeah. I think that's where a, lot, a very popular Vine, if you remember what Vine um, I do remember was Vine. back then, uh, sort of uh, helped bring uh, that song into a little bit like more of um, it, it helped like boost the song a little bit too. But that I, I, I do know that Thinking About You is uh, one of the most popular songs from Channel Orange, aside of Pyramids. But it's that, that, that one is really good. I've, I've well, always really liked that song. It's interesting you just said that about Pyramids, and we'll get to that. But I tried not to. I know there were four singles from this album. Mm -hmm. um, I, I tried not to identify what was the, you know, the sort of quintessential takeaway song from this mm -hmm. album. But in my mind, there are a couple. And it's not surprising to me that you said Pyramids is because that was clearly, it was pretty obvious just from having listened to it. And I want to say too, I listened to this album probably four or five times, certain mm -hmm. songs more than that. Um, but we'll get to that. But Thinking About You is is a good song. I, the one more thing I'll say, and then we'll just go track by track is, to me, this is almost more mood music than a, an album that I would necessarily put on. I would never run to this album ever. It's just not... Um, it doesn't have enough energy for me when I'm running. It's oh, very mellow. I think it's more background music almost. than. Yeah, I think that's a very good um, sort of idea of it. Um, in many ways, uh, Channel Orange is sort of about youth in um, a lot of ways, uh, you know, with the uh, with the song uh, Super Rich Kids. And, you know, just the things he described, you were talking about like, you know, money and like, you know, how it can weigh you down and like what matters, what doesn't matter, you know, not just his own, um, not just his own lifestyle and like, you know, yeah. who he loves sorting through his feelings. It's almost like a late teenage sort of angst album, early uh -huh. young adult sort of figuring their way in the world. Uh, well, is it that interesting? Because there are some similarities there to Jagged Little Pill. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what I was talking about. The parallels here are actually, um, you know, quite similar. And I would say that not many things sounded like Channel Orange, even by 2012. And mm -hmm. by today's standards, uh, Frank Ocean has been known for his very, you know, moody, very a point and uh, time in your life sort of kind of way of making music, which is pretty incredible. And I would say that I like Frank Ocean so much. And um, a lot of the reasons why some of my friends and other people in my generation like him so much because he truly represented, he took a point in time and sort of made it his own. And every album that he's made, which is only really two, unless you count his EP, Nostalgia Ultra, which came out before Channel Orange, is a very, very special sort of reminder of what life felt like during that time. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's mm -hmm. not music that's speaking for other people, Frank Ocean is taking his own experience as himself 
without directly talking about others' experiences, but everybody can sort of feel that in a sort of way, right? There's something to glean from it from uh, for everyone. And in a lot of ways, I think Jag a Little Pill uh, has that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you just uh, you just went over starts and thinking about you. What do you have next? I did. I did. Oh, I, I thought I was going to turn it over to you. Oh, yeah. No problem. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, Jagged Little Pill starts off with All I Really Want. And I would imagine that this is probably one of the singles. Uh, I think starts, it was. Yeah. This is definitely an opener, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I was really put off by the song the first time I heard it because her tonality and voice sometimes gets a little silly to me. And I was trying to decide whether that was a unique thing that I thought was, you know, good, because of course, um, there's so many different ways that, you know, people can express their music. I mean, technically, Kurt Cobain was a terrible singer, but I really love, you know, his voice. So I was thinking about it. And I went more into the lyricism of it more so than how it sounded. And that sort of becomes a trend throughout this album for me because I'll admit sonically just you know musically I can't find anything on this album that I would put on a playlist of mine or I would sit down and listen to again probably but I really? think this album yes but I think this album is greater than the sum of its parts because of what it means and that's sort of what I wanted to get into here um, all I really want is good because it's sort of describing what we want out of adulthood or in our specific relationships, just how we are, our situations. It's an honest look at life when somebody is young and about what we think about, right? You know, maybe me as an early 20 something, I can relate to that because I'm just making my way into the world and I have my wants, my needs, my desires, you know, things that I fear, things that I don't want to happen. So I thought that was a really powerful, unique song that probably spoke to a lot of people, especially young women, um, in a way that um, previous albums hadn't. So I was kind of back and forth on this one. I don't like how it sounds necessarily. I really like the meaning behind it. So all I really want is was fine for me. Um, and then there's You Ought to Know, which I think is probably the best on the album. Mm. Um, so I read, I read a fact on the internet, and I don't know if that's like an oxymoron because, uh, you know, this might not be a fact. Somebody might have just said it and been lying. Um, but Flea from uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, the bassist, uh, he, was, he did the bass on this one, apparently, which is kind of cool. Oh. Um, and I think this is the best on the album because I think it sort of represents the best of what the 90s did in this. It was a defiant time. It was more of a taking the edginess of like a situation and sort of making it popular almost. Um, it's clear that this song was written uh, sort of in a highly sarcastic viewpoint um, because I think she was sort of saying, good for you, but do you know how you left things and how much you're missing? She's saying like, you know, uh, can she do this or she might be able to do this and you know great for you but this is what you did when you like left us and you know I was so much more than you gave me credit for so that's how I saw the song and I think it's probably the catchiest in my opinion it's very powerful and it's almost it's pretty rock oriented I would say too. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah it's um it was one of the the hit singles from the album so um actually both of those first two songs were the song the album actually had four number one singles just to be um Oh, and you're not kidding. Uh, I also looked this up. So the certification of copies sold, it was diamond certified, which almost no album uh, really gets. 
that's it was 16 times platinum with yeah. 33 million albums sold it was the 1996 it, album of the year uh for the grammys and it was a juno winner so i think yeah, that's yeah. pretty neat it was it was absolutely incredible um it was everywhere. It was one of those situations where, you know, it's like the Michael Jackson's thriller. It's the um, uh, George Michael's faith. It's the uh, Justin Timberlake. Um, um, what was his big album? Uh, well, he had quite a few, but I think yeah. it was Future Sex Love Sounds. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, that's one, which is a great album. But the point being is that those albums will forever define the artist and and certainly jagged little pill will forever define alanis morissette do you think that can put artists in a box though do you think sometimes that can sort of make their next efforts uh seem a lot less impressive do you think a hundred percent a hundred percent and i think it's actually unfortunate in a lot of ways that you have that level of success because it's inevitable that there's no way everything that you ever do will be compared to that and your next effort no matter how good will pale in comparison and did you feel that way about her subsequent efforts? I haven't listened um, to them. You know, her next one, I think her next album yielded a couple of hit singles and they were quite good. But, you know, again, when you have four or five big, uh, you know, singles on, off an album, much like if you have a string of popular movies or um, bestsellers, although it seems like every book is a bestseller, you know, it, you're <laughs> constantly being compared to your last effort. And, and which I think is pretty much typical of everything in life. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, it's, it's great if you can achieve that level of um success but it it ultimately is a, a challenge to maintain that yeah i call that the katie perry effect uh her yeah. teenage dream had i think five just massive hits that i was hearing until probably she released her next album in uh-huh. what, 2014 or so but uh-huh. any work by comparison uh, it, it just isn't a teenage dream itself is a fixture of late 2000s early 2010s pop and what you could like do with it and while dark horse or some of her other singles were like fine from here on out that album like essentially made her entire career no yeah, album exactly before or after truly did that hot and cold was good but that was on a previous album but that alone so made her the artist that she is today so yeah yeah um with that in mind uh i've named two tracks here what do you have next up all right. Well, next up is fertilizer, and I have to tell you, I have no, I have no idea what fertilizer is is really all about. Um, I had to look it up, and um, it's you know, it's a cover, and it's again, it's one of those transitional songs, and it leads into Sierra Leone, which is, um, I have to say, one of the things I also enjoyed about this album is that the songs are short, relatively speaking, pyramids yeah. aside. And I, you know, I like short movies. I like short songs because I think you can get your point. And you've also heard me say that a three three minute song is probably as short as they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra Leone is um, is a two minute and twenty eight uh, second song, so it seems a little bit uh, too short. Um, but it's essentially uh, Frank talking to a younger fictional version of himself who fooled around with a girl and got her pregnant. And and so you know, as I'm reading about this, I'm you know just sort of it's the chapters in his life kind of thing and. Uh, so uh, Sierra Leone is not a standout for me. Um, I felt like it was um, a little abstract, mm-hmm. um, but there are some other songs coming that I thought were much, much stronger. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually really do like Sierra Leone. I almost think the aimlessness of the song is sort uh-huh. of what makes it. And in a lot of ways, this album isn't overwhelming in any sort of... Um, no, I would agree with that. That's what I appreciate about it. It was so subtle almost 
that it spoke volumes without having to be a massive, you know, crazy production that just blows your mind. I thought this mm -hmm. simplicity was really what spoke the most about its quality. But uh, so you have Fertilizer, Sierra Leone. Uh, what's your next one? Sweet Life is the next song. Yeah. And uh, Sweet Life is one of my, I, I got to tell you, there are five songs I just really like on this album a lot. Mm -hmm. And Sweet Life is among them. Mm -hmm. um, thinking About You is one. Thinking About You is one. But Sweet mm -hmm. Life is another. Um, and essentially, it's the track. It's, um, um, it's a reflective look on the effects of wealth. And here we go. This is why I was saying that too, right? Um, mm -hmm. Frank is exploring the idea of how money and wealth numbs people to the problems of the outside world. Um, and honestly, I really like that that idea, that notion, that concept. So between that and between the lyrical content and the melody, I thought it was, uh, it's, it's, it's a standout track in my opinion. It's also four minutes and 22 seconds, which is a little bit long, but at the same time, substantive enough that it gets the point across lyrically with uh, enough of, a, of an earworm to keep it going for me. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summation of um, those tracks. So um, for myself, uh, moving on to track three, which is perfect. Um, ironically, I think, or maybe not ironically, but I think uh, the song is aptly titled because I think it's the best uh, song on the album. It's actually slower in a lot of ways. Um, I think this one sort of cast aside uh, more of the angsty edginess and sort of spoke towards, you know, her ideal person, you know, how much, uh, how much, you know, she loves uh, this person. And I, I appreciated that there wasn't too much that, because the rest of the album, of course, is speaking about, you know, all the troubles, all the angst, all the, you know, issues that sort of come with, you know, being an adult and relationships, this and that. I thought this one was a nice break from the norm. It wasn't. What's, what's the track? Perfect. Oh, it's, okay. And it's number three. So I really yeah, liked this okay. one. And then Hand in My Pocket, which I believe was a single um, it was. as well. Um, yeah, this a number one, one single. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one was fine. Um, I, I think it's, it, of course, describes being an adult, as most of these songs do. Um, it did a good job of describing that we're pretty much all right, but there's things that we wish we could be, be uh, that we wish could be better. You know, of course, it's just like, you know, she says, I'm in good health, but I'm like maybe too short. You know, this is going well for me, but I wish this was happening. I think that's a pretty good reflection of how a lot of people think, you know, uh, there's things that we should be thankful for. But at the same time, there's things that we wish could be better. And, you know, it's a back and forth, but I think we should be thankful for the things that are going well for us right now. Agreed. Uh, yeah, that's what I got from that song. So once again, it's more about the lyricism itself. Uh, when I was looking over these lyrics, I realized that there is a lot of thought in here. There's really not that much repetition. And that's what I appreciated most about this album as a whole is that you can tell it came from a very personal place. You can tell that she was writing about things that were very specific to her, but also something that she wanted to put out into the world. It wasn't some mindless, you know, couple verses with weird random lyrics and then, um, you know, a chorus that repeats itself over and over and over again. I do appreciate the uniqueness of that, especially for a 90s pop rock album. Um, let's see. So next we have Right Through You. And I think this one is really good, honestly. Um, it's an angsty song that represents a young woman's frustration with some young male's ten uh, tendencies. Uh, seeing right through someone is like a powerful way of saying, just be real with me and don't play games. She obviously, you know, thinks uh, 
thinks well of some person, but this guy is just running around, sort of just playing with her emotions. And that's not fair to her. So I, I found that it, it's kind of cool that she's sort of like, you know what, I see right through you. Like you think you're being slick, but you're not. Just treat me the way that you yourself would want to be treated. And I like how she sort of just like plainly states that instead of just sort of not talking about, you know, an issue like that. So um, that, that's another really cool part of the album. Um, her strength and her tone, you know, it's very pointed. She's very, she sounds very sure and very confident of what she wants. And um, I, I think this was definitely something that spoke to not just, um, not just young people, but young women, I feel like too. Uh, early 20s, maybe mid 20s or so. I, I think that she was one of those um, fixtures in music aside, maybe Lauren Hill and uh, Gwen Stefani um, that were you know, prevalent in pop rock that spoke to more than just the casual grunge or rock or heavy metal sort of male audience. So I kind of appreciate what she's doing here, taking things from another perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds to me like you like track by track, you seem to like it better than the actual, um, I think you like the parts more than the sum, but I don't know, we'll, we'll decide that at the end. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so next up for me is not just money, which is another one of those interludes, one minute, love it. Um, but it's really kind of funny because again, it's, it's about money. And uh, this was just something that Frank uh, had a friend whose mom left him a message and was sort of almost rambling and they thought it was funny and they recorded it with her permission and they used it as sort of a transition to, to what is one of my favorite songs on um, Channel Orange, which is Super Rich Kids. Super Rich Kids is catchy. Anytime you can get, record a song and get the word, the words Lucky Charms, as in the cereal, <laughs> Um, you, you have to, you have to give the, um, the lyricist some credit. So, um, you know, overall this, is, this is too about money and the spoils of money. And I think uh, lyrically it's pretty strong. I think, um, it's a bit of an earworm too. I, I like your, I like songs that get in my head and I can't get, can't get out. This is not as much so as some others, but I think that, um, again, it's consistent with the theme that I found originally when I was listening to it. And this was the first of the songs that I listened to repeatedly because of the strength of the lyrics. So um, Super Rich Kids is one of my favorites. Interestingly enough, the next song is called Pilot Jones, and that is not an interlude song. Um, it's, it's a standalone three-minute, four-second song, and uh, we start to get more of that as we get deeper into the album. Pilot Jones is not one of my stronger, uh, one of the standouts in my opinion. It's I'm curious idea. to know what you think, Noah. Um, yeah. I, I uh, never really like Pilot Jones that much. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's fine. I, you know, I, I've, you know, the songs that you really try to get into because you love an artist and you're just like, uh, I feel like I can glean something from this, but you just can't. It, it's just one of those ones where I'm just like, you know what, I, this one just might not be for me. I don't think anybody's favorite song off of Channel Orange is Pilot Jones, not by a long shot. Yeah, well, I mean, he discusses the topic of first love and compares it to a drug. Um, anyway, I, I just, it's a little bit of a reach for me. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a fine song, but it's not a standout in the album. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, all right. All right. What's, that, what's next for you? So uh, we just discussed right through you. Um, and then we have Forgiven. Um, I think this is definitely 
uh, one of the most theatrical and loudest songs at this point in the album so far. Mm. Um, I couldn't really tell what this one was about. I thought it was fine, but a little bit, um, it had a little bit of anarchy in it that didn't really mix well together. Something I can appreciate about her is that she doesn't have the necessary structured ideals of a regular pop or rock song yeah but i felt like this one was a little bit too bombastic and sort of all over the place for me um, i think that's one of the things that made her stand out because remember we were coming off um i feel like uh, an era of backstreet boys and britney spears and christina aguilera and a lot of that mm -hmm. um so it was that bubblegum pop um and she was the anti of that right. and people were ready for that position. so yeah, yeah. Um, so and, I think that bombastic nature is one of the things that drew, uh, to your point, a lot of females, but a lot of people in general to her style of music. Yeah. And, you know, part of uh, the pitfall of uh, listening to an album that was released, you know, before your time is not being able to truly understand what it felt like to be there, to experience this artist for the first time, what people were saying about them. You know, you really only have uh, the retrospective hindsight is 2020 sort of years to see and formulate your opinion on what people think of this album. You know, so when I went in, I had, I saw that it had 33 million copies sold. It's multiple award winners. People still listen to this album to this day and what people already thought of her as an artist. You know, when this came around and you listened to it, I'm sure it was completely different. So, you know, I can only take my perspective of what I've been told and what I know now. Um, instead of sort of, I guess, experiencing it truly for the first time. Um, but the next song is You Learn. And I think this is probably one of her most reflective songs on the album. Uh, song and one of the most iconic. Yeah, this song essentially speaks to all the things that you have to go through in life to grow um, from what I recognized at, from the lyrics. Uh, you live, you learn, you fall, you get back down. It's just the natural process of life. And I found that of course, not everything in life is going to go our way. And sometimes that just kind of sucks. But that's the only way that you learn, of course. Nobody wants failures, but what do you need in order to not fail the next time? You need to be able to learn from those experiences. So I think it's a great sort of story of growth. Um, I, I definitely appreciate the content there. The song itself, though, just it wasn't very catchy to me. You know, I really, it, it's, it's so weird because I appreciate what, her significance and meaning is on jagged little pill but for some reason i just can't put the songs on and enjoy them as something that i would listen to over and over again i can't run to them and i don't even know if i would just put them on like in the car right yeah interesting so, yeah and i mean you know that's not to say that this is a bad album it's just one of those ones that you can recognize has probably higher significance than uh -huh. um then you're giving it but something that isn't necessarily for you as much we you know we've all been there before so what do you have next for uh frank ocean yeah next up is track number nine which is crack rock and um essentially this is a, a little bit of a story about his grandfather who struggled uh to be uh, the a parent and mm -hmm. um essentially became uh, frank describes him as having a second uh opportunity when frank was born to be sort of a, a parental figure so um it's obviously about the challenges associated with drugs and alcohol um not exactly a standout uh track for me either 
Um, I don't know. What'd you think of that, Noah? I, I like Crack Rock. I think it's yeah. a good one. Um, I don't think it's one of those ones that you're going to be humming along to, like Pyramids or Lost or maybe Super Rich Kids or Thinking About You. But um, I think it's catchy enough to sort of stick in your head a little bit. But uh, when you also listen to the lyrics, you know that it's uh, deeply personal to him and you know his views on um, a very a person who had significance to him. So mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't say that I go back to Crack Rock every single time, but whenever I give the album a listen through, I don't skip it. That's for sure. Well, the next up, the next one up is Pyramids, and we've already talked about how that. I assumed that was probably his opus on the album, so to speak. I and, think it's um, his opus because I mean, an eight minute and twenty five second song that just nine minute and fifty three second. Is that what it is? That's okay. what it is. Okay, yeah. it's crazy too because did you say he released this as a single? Um, you know, I don't think he did. I don't. I wouldn't know. think he would because I don't think so. A song this long, it is really hard to if unless you're Justin Timberlake, you can't really make it into a, a single. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, this song is fantastic to me. I think it is uh, one of his best songs and one of the best long songs I've ever heard. Every bit of it is incredibly atmospheric. Um, it's moody, and I appreciated the switch up that it experiences along yeah. the way. I appreciated that as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell me your tell me your uh, sort of full thoughts on that one. I don't. Well, I mean, essentially, let me just describe the song a little bit, though. But it's um, it's about um, it's a tale of uh, ancient history of the black woman and her mm -hmm. gradual decline from a queen in her homeland, her now degrading role in the Western Hemisphere, no longer revered but used and abused by men who would have died to protect her honor many centuries ago. I, I have to say that. In reading that description and then listening to the song again, because obviously I, I wasn't quite able to grasp the entire uh, meaning of the song, it, it says a lot about Frank Ocean as a lyricist and mm -hmm. as a writer. Um, I think it speaks to his um, strong sense of, um, well, strong intellect, but also strong desire for important narratives yes. and in a very, um, uh, I don't want to say catchy, but in a way that reaches the masses. And I think when someone is able, when someone is talented enough to do that um, and to incorporate a message like that into words that resonate and a melody that resonates with people, I think that uh, that's the sign of, of, of honestly true talent. And well, of so, course. Um, I think, of course, this is an incredibly important message to him. And I don't think it's a bad thing to make that sort of thing catchy because how does that get to more people? Right? Oh, no, I completely agree. I think it's yeah. important to make it catchy so it does resonate with people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think a message, I think, I think, you know, that kind of theme in a song is not exactly what you think of when you think of a pop song. I am not calling this a pop record at all, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, just sort of a song that, you know, I've listened to Pyramid several times. Uh, I keep wanting to like it more than I do. I do like it, but I think it's a little bit repetitive, especially after it transitions. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's what's catchy about it, too. So all, all in all, um, it would not surprise me that Pyramids, even without knowing a little bit about what you said, is the song that probably most people remember from mm -hmm. Channel Orange. Is that definitely fair? One of, definitely one of them. I would say top three that they remember from Channel Orange. I, because Thinking About You is one, too, right? Yeah. And, and I have a feeling Bad Religion is as well. But we're coming not. to that is not um but yeah last thoughts on uh pyramids i think i think one of the reasons why it's just such an amazing track is because 
each one of the songs, you know, from what you were saying, is pretty short in comparison to um, a lot of, you know, music. But Pyramids just comes out of nowhere being nearly 10 minutes and being a very, you know, just incredible journey uh, through time and how Frank Ocean is positioning it with his lyrics. So I think it's just, it comes out of nowhere almost. And I think that's why it surprises me all at once. It makes me, you know, happy to listen to all at once and why I think it's so important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to say the next song is my favorite song on the album and mm-hmm. it's Lost. Um, this is the one song that I keep playing because I keep, um, I, I hate to say it, <laughs> it's a catchy tune in spite of its pretty heavy uh, lyrical content. I'll just describe this. First of all, it was the fourth and final single from the album. But uh, the protagonist in the song is a drug supplier who uses his girlfriend as a drug mule. His lover gets lost in the intensity of the jet-setting lifestyle of drug trafficking and subsequent money and lavish gifts that come along with it. So once again, themes of the spoils of wealth. Um, And uh, so for me, Lost is, and honestly, it's a little bit of a perfect length song three minutes and 54 seconds mm-hmm. uh and and coming off the excessive nature of pyramids um also with important lyrical content was uh, a song that i probably most admired on the entire album in fact when we're done with this and i go back and listen to this i'll listen to lost first yeah definitely and you said you listened to the album four times now multiple times and certain songs even more yeah and so lost is one i keep listening to so you've done a really good job sort of diving deep into this i'm much better than i have so i appreciate that you've sort of been able to form your final opinions on it but hey you give um, me a job and i'm gonna do it Noah. absolutely but um yeah lost is cool because it has that meaning behind it which i actually never knew it was about but it kind of doesn't sound dark and no yeah. not at all uh, it, it doesn't sound dark at all it sounds almost upbeat you know the backing a uh, little do 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 you know that part um, that? yeah <laughs> but yeah um I, i'm glad that you enjoyed that one because that's always one of my favorites um so i'll go into a couple more tracks here because right. getting through so we just spoke about uh you learn is that correct that is correct all right um, so Head Over Feet was the next track. Uh-huh. And um, I thought this was a nice Also a number one single. Was it really? Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, I thought this was a nice enough song. Describes your love for someone as they are. It's a powerful point of human connection that stands as one of the album's better tracks, in my opinion. Um, this was another example closer in line with Perfect, where um, I don't mind her talking about you know her angst and sort of... Um, discussed with certain aspects of being an adult in the world and you know at her age but I think it's also nice to sort of see when I really like it when artists are content in a lot of their music because a lot of a lot of the songs we hear are about issues and problems right you know things Mm -hmm. that people want to be resolved or things that people kind of want to just vent about Um, I thought this was a very sweet track because it talks about, you know, a person that she loves for who he is and she wants nothing more than that. And she wants, and, and, you know, and she wants the same of someone else towards uh, herself. So I think this is a very uh, sweet track that's lyrical content is good and is also, um, you know, better musically speaking, like sonically. I definitely liked the sound of this better than some of the others. Um, and then we had Mary Jane. 
Um, this is a sleepy song. It wasn't really my favorite. Um, nothing really stood out about it to me too much. I can't remember exactly how it sounded, but I remember it was relatively unexciting. Uh, is this a known track off no. of Jagged Little Pill? No. I In fact, as I look at the, the track list, it's uh, that and uh, right through you are two songs I can't immediately think of and uh, hear in my in my head. Okay, this next one you'll probably hear in your head because I believe this is her most streamed song on Spotify. Um, this is ironic. All right, so uh, I I'm oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, go ahead and uh, let me know what you were saying before I go into it. I absolutely love this song. I think it's amazing. Um, it's obviously was a number one single, but I mean, there are so many, there are several things in the, in the song lyrics that are not irony, Mm -hmm. but it's clever as can be a little bit of a different tone than a lot of the anger in Mm -hmm. some of the songs. And ironic is a hand hands down my favorite Alanis Morissette song. So I read an article on this song alone, and it's funny how you said there's, uh, not actually a lot of irony ironically it's i mean there's almost this second layer of crazy irony on it but um they're basically saying uh what you were saying um i really liked how i, I really liked this set of lyrics kind of reminded me of train almost it's uh-huh. a no smoking sign on your cigarette break it's like a ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife it's a meeting it's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife and isn't it ironic, don't you think? A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think life is full of ups and downs. It's unpredictable and it'll kick you when you're down sometimes. But the sil- uh, but I sort of feel like the silver linings and your worst times like make you stronger. And this is what she's saying. Yeah. Um, I really do appreciate sort of how it describes those moments that we all hate, you know, especially the traffic jam, like, you know, when you're already late it's just it's those small moments in life that really annoy us but don't really matter in the long run and in those and when life gets hard sometimes it's ironic how life can show us how to move on better you know how it will throw us a bone almost and i felt like that's sort of what she was going for here what's your uh what are your thoughts interpretations you know anything on the song i I think they're very similar uh you know one of the things i like about ironic is i i I struggle to think of another song I've ever heard that is like ironic. It's um, maybe that's irony. I don't know. But I, there's something, I think, wildly clever, wildly observant, and wildly um, catchy about, about this song. And I think she delivers it in a way that is authentic without um, expressing too much um of the um upset and anger that is known or what jagged little pill is known for so for me it's a total departure from most of the songs on the album and even though i like all the other songs ironic stands apart i remember hearing it on the radio over and over and over again and thinking this is just such a great song because really there had never been up to that point a song very much like this and um, so I think it's a standout on many levels, lyrically, yeah. melodically, um, tonally, you know, um, it, it's a standout. It, it's funny how you say that, too, because um, that's not to say songs like this didn't exist in some form earlier on. But 
um, you were talking about how so- how the song is very observant and almost like specific. It yep. really is grounded in a lot of ways. And in many sort of times, I feel like some 80s, 70s, you know, whatever song weren't as, they were sort of predictively talking about general things rather than specific experiences that you might actually have, I felt in a lot of ways. And this album almost felt like something like the your next door neighbor would make, if that makes sense. It's just, yeah. it, it, it felt almost homegrown. It felt very specific. And it felt like something that a lot of people could relate to because songs about love, of course, you know, everybody has a love experience or they can generally feel that emotion. Um, but this was one of those ones that's, it, it, it was it was almost funny how, um, how much I, I would say it spoke deeper into life rather than just speaking generally about it, if you know what I'm saying. So, I do. I thought I it was do. cool. That's one of the things I think that's so powerful about the song. Um, so. Yeah. All right. So what do you have next? I've got two songs left. All right. I've got a few more. So I'm going to go with White, which is an interlude. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically, uh, it's an instrumental version of a song that uh, Frank Ocean had recorded for the Odd Future tape, Volume 2. Yes, that was his. Not not heard that. That was his hip hop collective uh, that he was a part of. That wasn't um, Tyler the Creator started Odd Future. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So that leads into Monks. And I have to tell you, I've listened to Monks a number of times and I'm still not sure about it. Frank discusses the relationship he had with a female groupie he had on tour. He continuously compares the audience at his tours to Buddhist monks and their spiritual idol, the Dalai Lama. So I don't know. I think I have to go back and listen to Monks a few times. Um, for me, uh, there's only one remaining song of the the songs left on the album, which is uh, next. That is a real standout. Monks just sort of left me um, uncertain about where we were going with that. Do you have an opinion on Monks? I haven't listened to Monks in forever. I honestly uh-huh. didn't forget it was on the album. So there you go. So the next song then is Bad Religion. And I read that Bad Religion was a song that was so well-received that it immediately put Frank Ocean uh, in the limelight. He became a household name virtually overnight as a result of uh, this song premiering on iTunes. So, and you know, my history with Frank Ocean is that I remember when his last album came out, was that Blonde? I don't know. But I remember there being so much anticipation for a Frank Ocean album. And of course, I have not listened to that because I've been focused on uh, Channel Orange, but um, Bad Religion is a very, um, I'm not going to call it a concept song, but it's interesting in that he gets in a taxi cab and he asks the driver to just sort of drive around and become his therapist for um, for a while, as long as he can drive. So this is a, it's an interesting, he takes interesting ap- approaches to uh, the themes of each of the songs. And I think that Bad Religion is is um, an example of that. It's also two minutes and 55 seconds, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, especially after still, you know, reeling from pyramids at almost 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, conceptually, I, I like it. I'm, you know, there's some lyrical, um, not risks, but some leaps, I think, from my personal standpoint. But at the same time, that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, ultimately, it is your... Um it is your experience listening to it that, you know, sort of matters in this way. But I think it's also mm-hmm. that you're expanding on what the song actually means. And um, 
you know, maybe Blonde was more about what I was talking about in the beginning, because um, I can't remember when Frank Ocean um, officially uh, came out, but it does seem like Channel Orange is more so about wealth, sort of money, loneliness, almost mm-hmm. you know, grappling with those experiences. Um, and Frank Ocean, of course, has never been somebody to just put that as like the figurehead of his entire personality. It just so happens that he is that way. And I don't think he told people for a while. And I think Blonde actually uh, sort of wrestles with those sort of uh, themes more so. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Blonde is really good. That's a conversation for another day. You should okay. To it. Well, we might have to have that. So moving on is Pink Matter. I have to tell you, this is another one of those songs that I listened to multiple times. And some of the lyrics in it, I thought, were um, uh, provocative. We'll, we'll just say it that. And the, the song is described as a, a play on the term gray matter, which is the substance that makes up the brain. Mm-hmm. So pink matter is a meditation of the female anatomy, desire, and fantasy. So again, um, I think in terms of lyrics, it's probably the most provocative song mm-hmm. on the album, on an album with uh, a fair amount of um, provocation, if you will. So Yeah, yeah um it yeah it's it, it's very interesting it's definitely one of those um i think it just sort of speaks to primal like male interests in some sort of way it's definitely more sophomoric less uh insightful but yeah. um yeah so uh um, and then the last song let me just go over the, la- the almost the last song is forrest gump and you mentioned forrest gump earlier in this i have to tell you i've listened to this oh sev- several times i just don't get it I don't know where it's coming from. Um, it's the 16th track on the album, and uh, it, it obviously references the film Forrest Gump. But he wrote the song from the perspective of Forrest Gump's love interest, Jenny, um, which s- serves as a metaphor for the feelings Frank still harbors for his first love. So interesting, a little bit of a leap, but I like the idea that he's taking a, a film character, a fictional film character's uh, perspective and sort of incorporating his own um interests in in the lyric so i think it's such a i think it's such a sweet song it's super catchy um i i I just really like how it is one of the later tracks on uh the album but it sort of it makes me feel like he still has like steam left in him rather than he's just sort of writing stuff for the sake of longevity i really like forrest gump but i always have so interesting Yeah. yeah how uh how we sort of differ in that way. Yeah. How All right. Well, I've only have one more song. So I'm, I know you got to finish up yours, but I only have one more song. So it makes sense. And it's end. Uh, it's the last song on the album. Naturally, you know, it would make sense that the first song is called start. The last song is called end. And it's a little bit of an interlude, two minutes, 14 seconds. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of moody, moody-esque uh, rain in the background. Rain pours outside. The couple talks in the car. Um, as his track Voodoo, which I'm unfamiliar with, plays in the background. So um, it's, it's a little bit different than, I don't know. It, it's, it's moody, it nice, presents nice closure to, I think, an overall consistent album. Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, it, it, for me, the start and the end are exactly what they should be and nothing more. Yeah. Uh, the beginning... In the end, it's a book that, uh, you know, you have the, the cover and the, the back, and, and that's what this provides. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I guess in that sort of way, what would you, what would you, what was like the rating that you would give the album? Do you want to give yeah, that later? I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a rating. Okay, cool. 
I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I, I like the album much more than I thought I would. In fact, the first time I listened to it, I came down and I said to your mom, well, I'm not going to be a Frank Ocean enthusiast. Um, <laughs> and um, she said, well, you know what kind of music you like. But I did keep listening to it. You know, I was mowing the grass yesterday and, and I just thought, you know, I kind of like this song. And, you know, as I said, the five standout tracks for me are Not Just Money, Super Rich Kids, Sweet Life, Lost, and Thinking About You. Uh, and in particular, Lost, I think, and Super Rich Kids are, are kind of my favorites. Um, it's, I am interested enough in listening to Blonde um, I appreciate the fact that you presented this to me because otherwise I would not have listened to it. And actually, this discussion has been really informative because I didn't know a lot of what you what you offered about Frank or about, you know, just sort of him him musically. So um, overall, I would say to you, I like this album much more than I expected to. And I have you to thank for that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Blonde definitely continues on sort of the streak of um abstractness and aimlessness that can sometimes go into his music but i feel like blonde has some of my favorite songs of all time on there and that might have been just around the time it was released but a lot of people um and my age feel the same way about it it's just a really really good album especially in some parts um i, I would say to some just like channel orange blonde can feel like uh something that is <sighs> not a complete product with occasional like weak moments but i think that as a whole it's just a really really good album overall and i think channel orange you know the more i think about it it's just uh you know frank ocean was about my age when he made channel mm -hmm. Orange. so that's right 25 incredible. i think yeah yeah uh let's see it came out in 2012 um and then he was writing it before then so i mean all things considered he's 33 now it was nine years ago yeah, about 24 or so. Yeah. So, Why did you give me this album, Noah? I gave you this album because, um, honestly, a lot of people, a lot of people my age, uh, this is basically like their darling album, um, in my opinion. I think that this, aside of, um, you know, the pop hits that we all had, that we all really enjoyed, you know, when we think about those pop hits that a lot of uh, people my age liked, there's only a couple of them like per album. This is an album experience from mm -hmm. what I've always remembered. And I didn't listen to this one until probably 2013 or 2014. So a year or two after it came out. But um, I felt like this was something that wasn't squarely within your genre or even within your genres that you usually stick to at all. Um, you don't listen to much music after 1980. So I figured it's a great sort of peak. And 19, after 1990. Yeah, so this would be a great peek into uh, some of the music that I like, but um, there was another album that I wanted you to listen to called uh, Born to Die that I'm probably going to force you to listen to next. That's also from 2012 and one of my favorite I can't albums. Wait. What, um, who's it by? Lana Del Rey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know you're a big Lana Del Rey fan. Yeah, I just think Frank Ocean is super, he's super special in the way that he describes things and the way he paints a picture. You know, he doesn't go for... Uh, he, he, he goes more for artistry and um, letting you feel real small moments like in life, the things he sort of paints rather than this huge pop production, general love song type of deal. I think I really appreciate that, you know, you don't have to have giant production value for, you know, and like slick imagery for an album. Sometimes it can be as simple as talking about a personal experience and having that mean something to a lot of other people. So 
that's one of the reasons why I picked it out for you. It just has a lot of, um, has a lot of love from people my age and, you know, I'm certainly in the same camp with it. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. I liked it. Yeah. Good to hear. Um, all right. So next we have not the doctor. Um, so from what I interpreted from not the doctor, it was that she doesn't want to be responsible for a man's feelings, desires, emotions, or the consequences of those things. She wants to be independent from that sort of deal. She's saying, you're an adult. I'm an adult. I have my own stuff to worry about, and you do too. Uh, you know, I'm not your doctor. Like, you know, I'm not your psychologist, your psychiatrist, whatever. You know, I felt like it was very much one of those things where she's telling it like it is. You know, she's not comforting somebody. Um, she's telling something to somebody that they may not want to hear. Um, and that's another sort of example of strength that I liked from Alanis uh, Morissette. Um, but then again, the song itself just wasn't that catchy to me. Mm. Um, next, we have Wake Up, which I think is a, I, I feel like it's an appropriate closure um, for uh, Jagged Little Pill because it's sort of a song about a man dragging his feet from what I recognize. You know, she describes this guy as somebody who's very hot and cold and doesn't like to be out of his comfort zone or he doesn't really know what he wants. She's basically saying, this is your time to wake up, get it out of your head, grow up and face the hardships of human connection slash just living your life in general. You know, um, I, I think she just wants more maturity out of some of the men that she's talking about in this album. And she's saying, you know, I'm facing those realities like head on. I'm coming to terms with a lot of the things I have trouble with. You should do. So I think it's a good way to sort of, this album is very youthful in nature, um, I feel like. And I feel like it's a good sort of way to close out um, how she feels about youth as a whole and her own voice in this. So it again wasn't one that was super catchy to me but i appreciated listening to and reading back over um overall i think jagged little pill is it's fine by like listening standards but when you read into it and understand what went behind it and just how much of an impact it's had on a lot of people i think it's better in that way but just purely from listening to it musically and enjoying it, I'd probably give it a five. But okay. coming from its lyricism and its very, very specific, very pointed way of thinking and how I knew it was um, it was intentional. This album was very intentional. Um, I would probably give it like a seven and a half or an eight in that sort of standpoint. You know, I wouldn't, rec I wouldn't recommend it to my friends because I think they'd probably be like, mm, I don't know. But um, I recognize its importance, even though I have trouble listening to songs more than once on it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so I think we I think we've learned something new this week, right? I mean, yeah. I had never heard uh, Channel Orange. You had not heard Jagged Little Pill. You knew of some of the songs off the album, but um, you know, it, it. I also feel like music has changed. Music um, as big of an album as Jagged Little Pill was you know it from the singles whereas i think channel orange although maybe i'm just dating myself here i don't know it of course my age but i don't know it from any of the, the singles well, i know channel it orange is you. about 10 years old compared to jagged little pill being um oh my goodness five well over 20 years old yeah so you know years. and then jagged little pill also came out in the time where 
everything was purely album sales. There wasn't really any digital stuff unless you were pirating it, I suppose. And Channel Orange was on the precipice of streaming, not quite during that time, because uh, I was 2013, but um, you know, people were downloading individual songs from it. Right. It definitely represented a different sort of um, way of listening to music. But I, I think you have, uh, continue with what you were saying, because I think I know what you're talking about. Well, I was just gonna say, I feel like um, albums today, first of all, I think albums, the, the whole concept of a hit single is different today than it was 20 years ago, even oh, I would argue 10 years ago, you know, hit singles are what drove album sales. Mm -hmm. And now I don't feel like you have as I mean, there were there were albums that just, you know, like Jagged Little Pill, like Thriller, like Faith, like, uh, like a prayer, these albums from, you know, um, Escape by Journey, these albums just sort of spawned single after single after single that kept the album at the top of the charts or in, you know, the public's um, awareness for a much longer period of time than I think albums do today. Albums hit big. They sell a lot of, well, they don't sell anywhere near as many units as they used to. It's just all the streaming. Um, but then I think they fade much faster than they used to. Um, You're probably right about that. Uh, and I think even Taylor Swift has seen that over the time that she's been popular. And I'll say, let's say she's been wickedly popular for a dozen years. Her older albums probably um, lasted longer than even some of the more recent ones that have been so incredibly well received. Well, I think that, you know, I think that sort of circles back to how we say uh, things about the natural progression of artists. Yeah. I mean, far and away, especially, you know, for her age at the time when she released her first album to, you know, her uh, arguable peak in 2012 to 2015, she's released her best work and she releases still, you know, good enough stuff afterwards, but I'm not gonna lie. I listened to a couple of her albums um, that came out after 2015 and I was really disappointed. I, I think I think she sort of realized that she's made all the success that she's gonna have and she doesn't really have to feel like she's has to have that wide appeal because no mm -hmm. matter no matter what, she'll release a single that may not be nearly as strong as her older singles, but it'll still get 500 million streams. Right. Well, and I think her, 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 the, the fact that, how do I want to say this? One of her, her many talents is um, the fact that she realizes that she can go in a different direction, different genre and capture an audit, take some of her audience with her and capture members of a different audience that she didn't have when she wasn't singing more folk oriented songs. And I think that's smart. Well, yeah, it's it's funny because arguably she was her most popular when she switched from country to pop. I know it. And then she went folk, which I I don't know. Justin Timberlake had this weird stint where he did Man of the Woods. I, I feel like a lot of artists like pretend to be woodsy uh, for a bit. And then. Well, I think what they want to do is they want to create some um, more credibility. They think they think and I think it's real that uh, the audience gets tired of that sort of signature pop sound that sells extraordinarily well for a short time, mm -hmm. but then they want to see what else the artist can do. And um, then by, by switching up their genres, they lose uh, a lot of the audience that they were able to establish when they were so wildly popular. Oh yeah. And some artists nowadays can get popular purely off of singles. There's, I mean, there's probably, there's quite a few that sort of just release EPs and yeah. singles and they get massively popular because I mean, what's the incentive to release an entire album if, you know, you can just put all your work into um, releasing a super catchy single that might get, you know, 
a billion streams or whatever. Um, but that's not to say that artists still don't write albums, uh, you know, for the complete vision of it. I mean, there's people mm -hmm. like Post Malone who had four or five, you know, massive hits um, off of his last album and the one before it. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see how music has changed. But then again, um, one day, 20 years from now, we're going to be like, wow, you know, remember when it was as simple as streaming? It's going to be something yeah. else entirely. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, that is our, uh, those are our official reviews of uh, our album Swap. Uh, once so again. final final analysis, I gave Channel Orange a seven and you gave Jagged Little Pill a? Five uh, in terms of how much I enjoyed it musically, uh, probably a seven and a half in terms of its lyrical content. All right. So you only get one rating. Five. All right. It's time to check it out, Noah. All right. All right. So for check it out, uh, I'm going to go with another music track. So the killers just released uh, surprise released a new album, uh, which is somewhat of a concept album. They went to, uh, I believe the lead singer, Brandon flowers hometown, and it's a very sleepy place. And so they're essentially taking bits of um, sound bites of people talking around the town and then making songs based off of sort of the general theme of what they're saying. Um, I think the album is pretty pretentious and definitely uh, one of their worst, but they have probably one of their best songs, um, which is the title track, Pressure Machine. That is a beautiful, um, that's a beautiful track. What's the name of it? Pressure Machine. Pressure I Machine. Okay. Yeah, I sent that to my mom uh, yeah. yesterday. She seemed she to like me. it. Yeah, it's, uh, that one is very standout. So um if you've listened to the killer you do know that any song that you send to your mom she's going to like uh, yeah yeah okay <laughs> but in general i i do think pressure machine is a very very good song listen to the abridged version um because i just think it's better especially if you do want to add it to your playlist but um check out pressure machine by the killers all right my check it out is something that noah referenced last week but i have now seen it and i can give my opinion and that is The Suicide Squad, which is on HBO Max and in theaters uh, now. Uh, I did not see the first Suicide Squad. I don't want to see the first Suicide Squad. Um, I just had heard really good things about this one. And I'm here to tell you I didn't hate it. And that's probably my best endorsement I can offer it. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's, uh, I don't know the history of The Suicide Squad. But for it's uh, two hours and 12 minutes. It is way too long. But there are some standout characters, uh, particularly the the talking shark, uh, voiced by Sylvester Stallone and the polka yeah. dot man. But uh, it's too long; it's a little slow. But there are some interesting uh, visuals, and in my opinion, it's worth checking out. I would give it a seven. So today is a day of sevens for me. You can, which watch... is apparently a lucky number. So we're good. Yes, and you can also watch the Suicide Squad uh, with your HBO Max subscription. But act fast because I think it will be off um, in less than a month. So yeah. yeah, check that out soon. But you know what? If you're interested in that kind of stuff, you've probably already seen it already, but fair reminder. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for listening to the episode. This was a very fun uh, sort of detailed uh, dive into two albums that mean a lot to us. Um, but uh, once again, thank you for listening. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is easy it's talk. easy talk <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it at some point <laughs>